Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. If you know you've got that relationship with God, that personal relationship, and He is your Father, I want to challenge you to do a couple of things. We're encouraging you to be a part of 24-7 prayer, where we get people praying every hour of every day of every week for a year. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. It's our prayer today that you, whether you're in this room, whether you are at one of our other campuses, or whether you're one of the many who join us each week online, that you understand that in a world of need, there's one name that changes everything. My little girl is the most social being that I know. She never meets a stranger. And just in a moment of confession, that's sometimes wearing on her parents. Because sometimes it's like kamikaze friendliness. For example, if we're at a Target checkout line and she hears the person say, hey, how are you doing? Or if we're just walking down an aisle in Publix and she hears someone say, where's the grits? (laughs) She instantly says, hello, what's your name? (laughs) And so that's caused some interesting conversations. Because after they share the name, she then always asks, in their presence, at full volume, her parents, what can I call them? Which created more awkward moments. Now, the reason she asked that is because her mom and I were raised kind of with what we call Southern manners. For example, though I spent a lot of time at my friend Rodney's house, and his parents were kind of like my parents, I would never call Miss Sprayberry Ann or even Miss Ann because I was young and she was an adult, and I called her Miss Sprayberry. And so that's the way we've raised our children. And so when she meets people and they say, my name is Ann, she wants to know, okay, what is their age? Because she can't see, so what shall I call them? Ann or Miss Sprayberry, for example. But in an effort to make uh, that a little less awkward, we've now taught her that she can ask them, after hearing their name, what would you like me to call you? Because sometimes it would just get confusing. Today, as we continue our study in Matthew chapter 6, another one of those most familiar passages in all of Scripture, we see that Jesus himself tells us what God wants us to call him. And it's interesting. It's a very interesting name. 
as we see this part of what we call the Lord's Prayer, or you could call the model prayer, or maybe we should call the disciples' prayer, we learn an important lesson. And here it is. When we talk to God, everything hinges on our relationship with Him. That shouldn't surprise you because that's kind of true as we talk to anybody, right? You don't just walk up to people you don't know and ask them about their medical condition. Our relationships determine so much about our conversation. And that's true in our relationship with God. I remind you of the context of what's taking place here. The disciples in Luke 11 and verse 1, we have it written out, they had come to Jesus and they they see him praying, and he stops praying. And so they say to him in Luke eleven one, Lord, teach us to pray. Now that in itself is interesting, isn't it? These disciples, students of the living God, they didn't say teach us to do the miracles. They didn't say teach us to command an audience like you do when you speak, but teach us to pray. And we can assume that they did this on multiple occasions. Because this prayer, as Albert Moeller says, that takes 20 seconds to recite, can take a lifetime to truly learn. So in Matthew's account, we don't see that they ask him to pray, but we see his response. This is how you should pray. Prayer for me is not always easy. I suppose it's probably not for you either. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones said there's nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. Everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Think about it. Coming to church, (laughs) that's pretty easy. Even standing up to sing in your big group like this, even if you don't have good tone, that's pretty easy. You may even give something in the offering. That can be easy. But to pray, to communicate with God on more than a surface level where you're just maybe praying as children do. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for the food. Or praying as you were taught as a child. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. But praying on a level where we understand what it means to commune with God, to talk to him and and to think that he's listening and then to listen and and know that he's speaking. I mean, that's difficult and it takes discipline. And, And I would tell you, after a lifetime hanging around Christians, most of us still need to listen to the words of the master when he teaches us how to pray. Because prayer at the very core is an invitation God to communicate with us. It's pretty awesome that we think we can talk to God. That's different in Christianity. Most other world religions, they talk at God, but they see him as such a distant deity, so great and unable to be related to that they're more talking in his direction. But we not only believe we can talk to God, we believe that he wants 
to communicate with us. So, so we don't pray to instruct him because he already knows everything to do. We don't pray to inform him because he already knows everything that is taking place. We certainly don't pray to impress him because he's not impressed with our words. He spoke a word and the world became existence. We pray to invite him to commune with us. And that, <laughs> that's why how we pray is so important. And so in response to that question, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Now, we probably should pause and just focus on that word for a second because it's not unfamiliar to us who hang out in this room. Either you're a person who pushed away from coming to church, or maybe you still don't go to church, you're watching online, and you're listening in some capacity, but you not dare going to church because that's where the hypocrites are. Or you've invited your friends, your family, those in your little corner of the world to worship with you in a corporate setting, and they say, no, and the church is just full of hypocrites. And yet... Jesus makes it clear here what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is not someone who follows God and is just doing a poor job at it. A hypocrite is an imitation, an actor, someone who's not really the real deal. We know that because of what Jesus says when he says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, and they want to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've already received their reward in full. In other words, I, I'm not listening to them. I don't hear them because they're not talking to me. They're fakes. But when you pray, go to your room. Close the door. And pray to, notice this, your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like, and now he makes it clear as if there were any doubt, he says like pagans. Some of your translations say like the Gentiles, like those who are not only not Jewish in a religion that I'm going to tell you I transcend, but they don't even pretend to know God. And yet they pray. Jesus is telling us something here that there are those who do not know God. There are those who have no relationship to the Almighty that for some reason, because it's natural within us, they are drawn to try to talk to him. But don't babble like the pagans, he says, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Your father knows what you need before you even ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I want us to pray once more. It's always important to me to pray that God would move me out of the way anytime I stand before you. I am a sinner saved by his grace, called in a mysterious way to be at this place. And so I need him. I'm also praying for you because... 
None of us need more religion. We really don't. We don't need a ritualistic experience. I'll explain that in a moment. We, we need to encounter God. We need to hear from him. And so I'm praying for you. And then when we get to the end of this prayer, I want us to do what early Christ followers um, did every time they gathered. They prayed this prayer. So I want to invite you to stand with me. And at the end of my time of praying for myself and praying for you, um, I want to invite you to join me in this prayer we call the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, if you know this. But let's pray together. Also, Father, we have gathered today in your presence, worshiping you, the one who makes a way when there seems to be no way, the one that shines the light when the world is dark around us, the word, the one who keeps your word when everyone else lets us down. You are worthy and you are present. We worship you, Father. We love you, Jesus. We, we recognize what you've done. We've sung about that, too, as we've worshipped you. We, we realize that we're here because of your name, Jesus, because of the power, the majesty, the sacrifice represented in your name. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says, the Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. And Spirit of the living God, you have indwelt us. You, you are here with us. So teach us. We've not arrived yet. We need to know more. Give us those things we don't have and make us more like you. Oh, make us more like you, Jesus. And Lord, let the words I say in my thoughts be pleasing to you. There's so many things that distract me, and I know my enemy, he would seek to distract me. And this message is so important. So would you move me out of the way and use this for your glory? Continuing to teach us how to pray, just as you taught the disciples when you said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. We're learning how to talk to God. And today, as I told you, we're learning that everything hinges when we talk to God on our relationship 
with God. So I really should begin by asking you, what is your relationship with God? So all of you can think about that right now, right? I mean, some of you see God as Jesus is going to describe him as your heavenly father. But some of you don't. Some of you see God as that distant deity. Some of you see God kind of as a cosmic killjoy. He's just waiting to zap you when you step out of line. Uh, Some of you see God like you saw Santa Claus as a child, and you just go to him when you want something. How do you see God? What is your relationship with him? We're really just looking at four words because every word that Jesus said in this short prayer is so important. So these first four words, our Father in heaven, they tell us so much. The first thing they tell us, your relationship with God is personal. And that changes things from the way most of the world prays. That changed things from the way the Jewish people prayed, even in Jesus' day. That's why they were asking him, we see that something is different, Jesus. We see that when you go away, there's emotion, there's passion. We don't hear you just reciting the same thing over and over again. Teach us to pray like you pray. As Jesus began his lesson, he said, you pray our Father, I can relate to this. I grew up in a loving and godly home. My parents cared for me. My dad, still my hero. Even this week as I was just walking through life, I thought, man, I wish I was more like my dad. And, and really, I hope you have people like that in your life. And that's okay to follow after other people as they're following after Jesus. And so conversations with my dad were special. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes my dad made me angry, and sometimes I would talk to him, and I would not like what he would have to say. It's at those points that I would say, hey, can I talk to my mother, (laughs) please? But I've talked to my dad in my adult life as long as he could almost every day. We would compare notes when he was active in ministry. I would seek wisdom from him. I remember when I I called dad in moments of sinfulness and really some confession and probably one of my greatest fears was how he would respond and and he showed such grace and demonstrated such great love. In his latter year, dad couldn't talk much. When he first got six, he could talk a little more, and it didn't always make sense, and we had some really funny conversations. But when his, when his talking ceased, it was more one way, at least as far as the outward communication. When COVID began to hit, um, the nursing home would not let us in, and, and so even from a distance, I would call every few days, And a nurse would take the phone to my dad and put it at his ear. And sometime all I could say was, I love you. His last two nights on this side of heaven, I I was with him all night long. And I would just hold his hand or, or put my head on his chest and I would just say, I love you. And I spent that time 
just telling him the different reasons I loved him. Thanking him for what he meant to me. Telling him about the things he did good and the difference he had made. Why? Because communicating with my dad was special to me. Now, I'm a communicator for a living. That's what I do, right? So I I haven't done that incorrectly. I understand for some of you this was a very uncomfortable moment because you don't have or you didn't have what I experienced. And what I've learned is that our relationship with our earthly father can have as big of an impact on our relationship with God as anything else in this world. And some of you, because of that absence or that bad relationship with your earthly father, it's impacted you when you hear about calling God our father. And I want to help you through that today. I want you to understand that just because your earthly dad was bad or is bad, you don't need to miss out on the best dad that there is. He wants to be your heavenly father. He wants to demonstrate his love for you. In fact, he wants you to love him in the most intimate way. And I know this because the word that Jesus uses here, it's it's really the word daddy. In the Greek, it would be translated father, but Jesus spoke Aramaic. And so he was talking to his disciples. The word he used would have been Abba, daddy. (laughs) I love that word. We've got five children. Four of them have kind of entered into adulthood, young adulthood. Some of them think they grow past saying daddy. One of them, when he went off to college, he changed my name in his phone, in his contacts, from daddy to dad. I discovered that. I'm not sure. I'm sure one of his brothers told on him. But I I discovered that, and I said, why did you do this? He said, because I don't want to get beat up. (laughs) One of my other sons, when I call him still to this day, if I call him today, he'll pick up the phone if he answers, and he'll say, hey, daddy, I love it. He's strong. He's a young man. But boy, that's an intimate way to speak to me. And that's the way Jesus tells us to pray. And this was earth shattering. It was brand new. It was different. In the Old Testament, we only see God referred to as father 15 times. He is, he is referred to as father, but it's only 15 times. And it's more as the father of Israel, the father of nation, the father who will lead you out into Exodus. But now Jesus says, this father God wants to be your daddy. And in the New Testament, we see, Jesus, we see God referred to as father more than 250 times. And 170 of those are from Jesus. In fact, every time he prays except one, he prays to God, his father. The one time he doesn't is when he's on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is this so significant? Why does he do that? Why does he address God in this way? He's making it clear that we can call God Father. And I think he's doing this because at the core of our relationship with God is this intimate reality that we are his children. That's the primary relationship God wants us to understand. And it stands in sharp contrast, doesn't it, to the religiosity in verses 5 through 8. 
where you pray to some deity and maybe you repeat the same prayers over and over again or you pray in public just so people will hear you and make it more eloquent and and you can get a crowd going or are you you pray just because you want something no it's not business it's family it's the difference between religion and relationship It's at the heart of even that Nicodemus conversation in John chapter 3 when when Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, okay, I like you and I like what I see about you and around you, but what do I need to do to have what you've got? And Jesus laughed and said, you have to be born again. You have to be born into my family. You understand the difference, right? Right? Those people at Target and and those people we pass in the aisle at Publix, they may be friendly, but they're not family. And, And so some conversation is not appropriate when it's not your family because there's a different kind of relationship. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. 